Good morning, friends. Today's message, Welcome to the War. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, today I've got some good news and some bad news. And let me put it this way. If you're living in this world, if you're a child of God chosen from the foundation of the world, adopted into God's family, redeemed through his blood and sealed by his spirit, if you are being filled with the Spirit and submitting to other believers and seeking peace in all relationships, in the church, in your marriage, in your, with your family, in your workplace, and yes, even in today's crazy world, you can be sure that Satan is at work, and you, with many, many others, are at war. Now, on the other hand, if you're not facing any conflict from any of these things, perhaps you're, well, dare I say it, living a life of immorality or laziness, I mean, after all, the devil is not seeking to devour some people because, well, let's be honest, he's got them. So listen up. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we, we start with verse 8. We hear these words, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if you have not figured it out yet, spiritual warfare is not an option in the Christ follower's life. If you're a believer, you are involved in the struggle, and no one else can fight the battle for you. And put it another way, you're not going to find any um, elite Christians who specialize in rebuking the devil. I mean, there are no spiritual special forces or Green Berets or SEAL teams. We are in a battle, and like it or not, we must fight. We cannot ignore spiritual warfare. Now, unless you buried your head in the sand, you know that there is a great cosmic invisible struggle between good and evil, light and darkness, between God and Satan. We see it all around us. The casualties are men and women and children, nations, and in this war there's no ceasefire, no truce, no timeouts, no prisoner, no quarter. Now, today I want to look at Peter's words here in First Peter chapter 5, given to him by the Holy Spirit. And begin to under, by understanding our struggle in verse 12 of this chapter. And then we're going to go back to verse, verses 10 and 11 to examine our power and our protection. So let's start by considering our struggle in spiritual warfare. And we start by acknowledging that our struggle is real. Verse 10 says, from now on, brothers and sisters. Now, this means that all of us are corporately involved in this great war between God and the enemy. And understand that people's ideas about Satan usually fall into one of two extremes. Now, one extreme, uh, you know, there are those who do not believe in the supernatural. These people see Satan kind of as a symbol of evil and not the embodiment of evil. Now, a few years back, uh, George Barna, in a national survey, asked people to respond to this statement. The devil or Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Now, among those who claim to be born again, 32% agreed strongly, 11% agreed somewhat, and 5% did not know. Thus, of the total number responding, 48% of born-again believers either agreed that Satan is only symbolic, or they didn't know. Now, on the other extreme are those people who blame the devil for everything. Now, these folks seem to see a demon behind every bush and around every corner. They routinely cast demonic hordes out of crashed computers and faulty traffic lights and you know, blame, blame the devil for not being able to get a, a, a parking spot close to the Walmart. I mean, somewhere in the middle is the biblical reality. But no matter what, friends, Satan and his demonic legions are alive and well on planet Earth. 
See, Satan is the enemy of God because he cannot do anything to God. He chooses to attack what is precious to God, and that's us. He cannot get to God, but he can get to us. Second, our struggle is personal. And I hope you notice the word wrestle or struggle in verse 12. It means hand-to-hand combat, swaying back and forth, locked in mortal combat. This is not bow and arrow or artillery or long-range bombing, but this is down in the dirt, blood, sweat, and tears. This is a personal fight for us, a fight to the death. Now, whether you realize it or not, every day you are locked in a personal battle with the forces of darkness. Every day the enemy tries to get a new hold on you or attack some weak area. Our enemy personally fights to cause you to be proud instead of humble, divided instead of unified, filled with lust instead of love, walking in darkness rather than light, in foolishness rather than wisdom, in anger instead of self-control, in bitterness instead of joy, in self-serving independence instead of mutual submission. Our struggle, third, is supernatural. Paul further says that our fight is not against flesh and blood. I mean, this hand-to-hand combat is not fought by conventional means. We cannot fight the enemy like we would fight mere men. I mean, that's why verse 10 says that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, you cannot control a flood with a flamethrower. You cannot put out a forest fire with a floodlight. In the same way, we cannot fight a spiritual fight with earthly tactics. Now, one of the reasons we lose the fight so often is that we try to win in our own human strength. But friends, here's a great truth. If you try to resist evil in your human strength, you will always lose. Well, fourth, our struggle is against powerful enemies. Now, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Rather, it's, it's against even more powerful enemies. The end of verse 12 describes the spiritual hosts of wickedness, the invisible but deadly army of Satan. So we not only fight against Satan, but against his legions of fallen angels. Now, Paul here, as in other passages, describes the ranks and organization of these unseen supernatural forces. They are principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, they inhabit the heavenly places, that is, the invisible spiritual realm. They do not have run of the highest heaven where Jesus is seated, but they do run roughshod over creation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says, We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, these designations of rank suggest that Satan's forces are organized in a vast, effective hierarchy. Now, the Greek word behind powers is kosmokratos, meaning world rulers. Now, whatever these titles mean, We can be assured that we have powerful enemies arrayed in a defined and disciplined army constantly in battle against you and me. They want to hurt us, destroy us, and kill us if possible. And if they can't do that, they will settle for ruining our lives with broken homes, broken countries, addictions, bitterness, despair, depression, violence. I mean, you name it. Now, let's move on to our second point. Our struggle has serious implications. Now, first of all, Satan is terribly powerful, though not as powerful as God. I mean, after all, God is creator, Satan is a creation. Yet he is a powerful creation. He He temporarily dominates this world. Unlike God, he can only be in one place at one time. However, his immense order of demons and fallen angels do his bidding around the world. Let me give you a few illustrations from God's word. 
1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway or the control of the wicked one. John 12.31, Jesus called him the ruler of the world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul describes him as the God of this age who has blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine on them. Again, Paul in Ephesians 2.2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In Acts 26.18 gives us Paul's commission to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And in Revelation 9.11 he is described by the Hebrew word Abaddon in Greek as Apollyon. Both words translate as destroyer. Well, second, understand Satan is terribly evil. Romans chapter 1 through 3 teach us that man by heredity is totally depraved. No one has to teach us how to sin, friends. I mean, every part of our nature is tainted by sin. However, this does not mean we are as bad as we could be. In other words, we always have room for deprovement. I mean, some humans fall to a deeper level of depravity, murderers, rapists, child molesters, you know, and there I even add things witnessed daily on television or other social media. Yet no one, no one has fallen to Satan's level. He is utterly evil. He has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse. He feeds on pain and suffering, and he delights in anguish and filth. And third, Satan is terribly cunning. Verse 11 speaks of the wiles or schemes of the devil. Now, this comes from the Greek word methodia, uh, methods, strategies. Satan has been honing his methods for millennia. Now, I am not that sharp, but if you give me a couple of thousand years to study, I could become a pretty good mathematician or scientist or whatever. So let's take a look at three of his schemes. Scheme number one is diversion. The devil is a master at hiding behind the scenes. I think we probably got a vague idea how that might work. When he attacks us, we often do not even realize it's him. We blame other people. We blame circumstances. We blame the system. We blame government. Well, scheme number two, division. His motto is divide and conquer. Now, we need each other to defeat him because he battles against unity. Unless God's people stand up, he might pick us off one by one. See, scheme number three is deception. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11:14, Satan himself transforms himself into or masquerades as an angel of light. He does not so much attack our weaknesses as our strengths. He gets us to rely on our own talents instead of the God who gave them to us. So, what is our power in spiritual warfare? Let me give you a few ideas. <clears throat> First of all, understand that the enemy defeats us when we rely on our own power. Now, if you're trusting in your own strength, you're issuing the devil an invitation to beat you up. <clears throat> the easiest thing for us to do when we face temptation or struggle is to deal with it on our own. And if you're thinking, I can handle it on my own, you're getting beat up and you don't even know it. And second, we defeat the enemy when we rely on God's power. Now, when I was a kid growing up, my grandpa used to say to me, be tough, be strong. That's pretty good advice for a kid, but not for a maturing believer. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Now, why? Because God is greater than Satan is. 
Satan is powerful, but he's not even in the same class as God. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. In Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh. Aaron threw his staff down. It became a snake. Pharaoh's magician said, a big deal, did the same thing. He had snakes all over the place. But then God's snake ate up all the others. Now, more importantly, Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 speak of how Jesus took our sin and nailed it to the cross. And then it goes on to say, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You see, at the name of Jesus, the host of hell shake. James 2:19 says the demons believe and tremble. Martin Luther wrote of that in his great Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And many of you know these verses. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and marked, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. So friends, Satan took his best shot at Jesus, and he lost. And because we are in Christ, we have victory. We just have to fight. I mean, don't trust your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. Find your strength in him. So you might be asking, so what is our protection then in spiritual warfare? Well, first of all, our protection requires putting on the armor of God. Surprise, surprise. You probably knew that was coming. Paul says to put on the full armor of God. I always say, don't fight naked. I mean, strap it on, put it on, leave it on. The armor of God is a metaphor of the components of the spirit-filled life. The armor of God represents the supernatural protection available to every believer from him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's verse 24 in the book of Jude. Second, our protection requires making the stand. Now, this is a military term that refers to holding a critical position in the battle, making a stand. And there are three keys to making a stand against the evil one. Key number one is to remember that we have been delivered. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. See, the only hold Satan has is what you give him. The victory is already ours. Here's key number two. Remember, we, we just cannot send demons away. You know, saying in Jesus' name won't necessarily make everything easier. We defeat the hordes of hell by being filled with the Spirit and living in holiness and peace. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And key three, remember, we are strongest when we are weakest. God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in, well, here it comes, weakness. Paul then said, Gladly I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then what? Then I am strong. Uh, A Marine veteran friend of mine back in Texarkana uh, told me the story of how at the end of uh, his Marine boot camp, he was assigned to a platoon with a pretty experienced sergeant. He said the sergeant deployed the recruits in a trench on on a battlefield. He took his bayonet and scratched marks in the dirt on each side of each man. 
And then he said, your battle exists between those two marks. Your sole task is to defend your 24 inches of battleground. Do not worry about everything or everyone else. That's my job. Do not worry about the whole battle. That's the brass's job. You just worry about your 24 inches. That's your battlefield. Now, friends, sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by the titanic clash between righteousness and evil that we forget our personal battlefield. So are you holding your 24 inches and making your stand? Well, that reminds me of the hymn I, I remember grow up, grew up memorizing and singing at St. John's Lutheran School in Seward, Nebraska. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. The, this day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh the crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. So friends, the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. But the battles we face are not ours. They're the Lord's. Jesus won the greatest battle when he died and rose again. And God intends that you stand in victory at the end of the day, but that will not happen without a fight. Christianity is not for those who want to run and hide. It's a religion, if you will, for strong men and brave women. I mean, the evil day may be upon us, but I am not a pessimist. It is time to put on the armor of God. We were made for times like these. Stand firm in the evil day. Stand up for Jesus in the power of the Spirit, and victory will be ours. Let me end by sharing some simple truths, maybe to repeat when you're in a spiritual battle. God's got this. The Lord fights for me. Jesus loves me. Not today, Satan. I am a child of God. He is able. It is finished. His grace is sufficient. Joy comes in the morning. I am not alone. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fear has no grip on me. Christ is enough for me. He has overcome the world. I am a new creation in Christ. Jesus conquered the grave. Sin doesn't define me. Christ does. Be still and know God is good. Until next time, fight the battle. See the vision. Live the mission. Feel the passion.